So consumption patterns started strong in January and February, weakened significantly in March, and have remained at a weaker pace in April and May, as many of these companies reported. And a lot of that is also in line with what we've seen with the Bank of America high-frequency credit card data, which also shows softening in spending post the banking crisis in March, April, and May. Hi, I'm Christoph Gleich, President and CIO of Harbor Capital Advisors, and I'll be your host for this special series that we like to call Views from the Harbor. Here, we aim to try and break down complex global events and market trends in an effort to bring you actionable information that we believe can help with positioning your clients' portfolios. Thank you all for joining us. Welcome to today's episode of Views from the Harbour, where there's a ton going on in markets, as always. I think this week, dominating the news cycle is the potential resolution of the ongoing US debt ceiling saga or circus, maybe perhaps more accurate. So we're going to get into that in a bit more detail. We're also at the back end and we're through Q1 earnings season. So we're going to do a bit of a double click on learnings from earnings. And we're also just going to talk about how do you navigate this risk environment? Markets are up strongly, I think, more strongly than people expected, investors expected on a year-to-day fashion. We're seeing a lot of momentum in growth equity, a lot of buzz around AI. So what should investors do from here? We're going to get into that. Also, last but by no means least, at the end of today's episode, we're going to get to some of the questions that you submitted to us. So thank you for getting those questions in. If you'd like to send in your questions after this week's episode, please send them in to views at harbourcapital.com. So moving on with my guest, Spencer Lana, head of multi-asset here at Harbour. Spencer, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Good. So look, let's jump straight in. We talked at the top of the episode about the ongoing debt ceiling saga, circus, crisis, whatever it may be. It appears that we're getting towards a resolution and Actually, on our last views from the harbour, we did a special deep dive on this with Jake Shermeyer. So what have we learned since then? What's happening this week? And how is this ultimately going to play out? So like we expected, like Jake talked about in the recent webinar, it does seem as though a deal has been reached. So Speaker McCarthy and the Biden administration, they announced that they reached a deal where the debt ceiling would be suspended until January of 2025. So most discretionary non-defense categories will see spending capped at 2023 levels for 2024 with just a very mild increase in 2025. So what does that mean for the broader economy? The CBO estimates that fiscal spending will be reduced by 0.2% of GDP per year over the next two years. So there's not no impact, but it's pretty marginal at 0.2% per year over the next two years. And just for some context, if we compare this to the 2011 debt standoff, that deal resulted in a reduction in fiscal spending that contracted GDP by 0.7%. So this is less than a third of that, so much more on the margin. The legislation did pass the House yesterday, and next is up for a vote in the Senate, which could come as soon as tonight. So it looks like for all intents and purposes and from a portfolio perspective, this issue is pretty much resolved for now. So it may even be by the time we go to where this is resolved and ultimately passed. And it looks like the markets got this one right. I think markets largely kind of ignored this as a left tail risk that was unlikely to manifest and kind of look through it. And that's ultimately what markets do, of course, is look through the short-term noise to the long-term. And of course, what's more important over the long-term are fundamentals. And every quarter, we get a read into some of the fundamentals through earnings. 
and we've just gone through Q1 earnings season. So Spencer, what have you seen? What have the team seen in terms of some of the themes or trends? I think there was a lot of nervousness going into this earnings season, but how did it play out? Yeah, so it did look like growth was slowing pretty considerably in the October to December timeframe. So there were definitely some concerns coming into Q1 earnings season. Earnings are usually revised down going into each quarter, but they were actually revised down much more than usual going into the first quarter. So there definitely was some skepticism about where earnings would come out. However, they ended up coming in much better than expected. However, that is relative to a pretty low bar. So sales ended up growing plus 4% year over year in the first quarter. That beat consensus of about 2%. Earnings fell 2%, so minus 2% year over year. But that beat consensus by 7% just in the first quarter. And breadth was very strong. 78% of companies beat on the bottom line. So all in, it was a pretty good quarter. I think the main signal that we want to look into kind of broadly across all the companies reporting is really what's going on with the consumer. And there, I think there were a few takeaways that I just want to mention. Firstly, we're continuing to see that shift from goods to services spending. For instance, we saw Booking discuss how there continues to be strength in experience-based spending like travel. So we're still continuing to see that trend come through post-COVID. However, we're still seeing a lot of challenges in discretionary categories like apparel and home goods. And a lot of that was made evident by Target and Walmart and various other discretionary retailers. Target mentioned that prices are today 20% higher than where they were two years ago. And so that is leading to still straining budgets for the consumer. And it continues to be a headwind for consumption broadly. And then the other thing that was mentioned that I think is really important is that consumer spending from a lot of the companies that we track mentioned that it really softened throughout the quarter through March. And that quarter to date in the second quarter is similar to the exit rate of the first quarter. So consumption patterns started strong in January and February, weakened significantly in March, and have remained at a weaker pace in April and May, as many of these companies reported. And a lot of that is also in line with what we've seen with the Bank of America high-frequency credit card data, which also shows softening in spending post the banking crisis in March, April, and May. So earnings, as always, the CFOs do a pretty good job of managing street expectations. They were pretty depressed, so they beat depressed expectations pretty strong across the board. But of course, that was losing momentum into March, which seems to sort of continue into Q2. But we shall see when we get to the end of the quarter. So, so let's transition now to portfolio management, portfolio risk, taking this all in, you know, Markets are strong, fundamentals deteriorating, employment's still strong. How do you pull this together into a portfolio? And when you look forward, are you kind of more inclined to sort of lean into or lean against risk assets? So at this point in time, we really think there's sort of a weakening risk reward ratio in risk assets. You know, the S&P 500 is now at year-to-date highs. The last time that that was seen was in the summer of last year. And at that time, the 10-year was 100 basis points lower and earning estimates were higher. So just to give some context, how the S&P and equities have continued to sort of climb the wall of worry, we think that a lot of that has to do with this stronger growth narrative, particularly recently as a result of the fact that bank credit condition tightening, although it has declined since the regional banking crisis in March. It has not fallen off a cliff like many thought it would, and then it seems to be playing out at a slower pace. And consumer spending, although it slowed towards the end of the first quarter, generally speaking, it still remains fairly resilient. 
However, despite all of that, our view is that labor markets are likely to begin loosening more so than they have been. The pace of loosening is likely to accelerate over the next three or four months or so. The main reason for that is corporate profitability is really starting to fall at a meaningful pace at the economy level. So I'm not referring to the S&P 500. I'm referring to the broader economy. At the aggregate economy level, what we're seeing is a pretty meaningful degree of slowing growth momentum. We're actually now growing at a below trend rate broadly for the economy. And nominal wages are still pretty strong. And simultaneously, we're starting to see inflation fall at a pretty meaningful clip. And when you bring those things together, slowing growth, declining inflation, but still strong nominal wages, what that means is for sort of the average profit margin across the entire economy is that those profit margins are declining. You're seeing that less in the S&P 500 because it's very tech heavy, but in the broader economy, it's very services heavy. That's what we're starting to see. And we think that that's going to lead to a loosening for the broader labor market. As a result of that, we're inclined to incrementally reduce risk, if anything, after the recent rally. And again, just given that risk to reward, we think the upside from here is much less. And there's still quite a significant amount of downside if we do end up getting the hard landing that we think is more likely towards the end of this year. Got it. But lastly, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, we're now going to focus on a question that's coming from the audience that was submitted ahead of time. And Spencer, the question is around the interest rate hiking cycle. And the question is, are we at the end of the interest rate hiking cycle? What are your views there? We talk about pivot, pausing. How do you think this is going to play out? So we do think that we're pretty much at the end of the hiking cycle. We think the Fed is likely going to pause here. They probably will not hike at their next FOMC meeting in two weeks. And we think likely looking out over the next six months, we think interest rates will probably be lower rather than higher at the long end of the curve. We've also heard numerous Fed officials recently talk about how they intend to hold rates steady here rather than continue to raise them. We heard Vice Chair Jefferson, Mester, Bullard, and others in recent weeks talk about that. So we do feel pretty confident that we're pretty darn close, if not already at the end of the hiking cycle. However, I want to be clear that The end of the hiking cycle does not mean the end of restrictive policy. The Fed only needs to hold the Fed funds rate where it is to maintain restrictive policy. And let's not forget that quantitative tightening and a reduction in money supply is still ongoing in the background. So we will continue to experience restrictive monetary policy from here, which will continue to push down growth broadly throughout the economy. And a good way to kind of monitor the implications of that or a signal for how intense that is are looking at bond market break-even inflation expectations which have fallen from 2.8% in March to 2.1% currently looking out over the next five years. And the signal from markets to us as a result of break-evens falling so significantly over the last few months is that the restrictive level of monetary policy is continuing to have an effect on growth. And it's causing markets to believe that inflation over the next few years is going to continue to come down and down as long as the Fed keeps the Fed funds rate where it is. So we do think that we're at the end of the hiking cycle or pretty darn close, but that we will continue to have restrictive policy for the foreseeable future. Yeah, my sense is that they will not raise rates, but nor will they say declare this is the end of the hiking cycle. I think they'll put some language in the statement that says, you know, it's appropriate for now and they'll continue to watch. 
and they kind of stand ready to do what's needed. And I think now they're going to be in a position where they'll have sort of optionality to go higher if they need to or lower if they need to or to maintain, which, as you say, would still be in restricted territory. So thank you to our audience member for submitting that question. And just as a reminder, if there are any questions, themes or topics or areas that you want us to deep dive or cover in our next episode, please don't hesitate to send an email, hopefully up here now, views at harbourcapital.com, and we'll be sure to get to them. So with that, I will conclude. Spencer, thank you once again for joining us. And that concludes the latest episode of Views from the Harbour. And now for important disclosures. This material is for informational purposes and is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research or investment advice and is not a recommendation, offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or adopt any investment strategy. The opinions expressed are as of 1st of June and are subject to change.